Hey crew, welcome back to another episode of the Skippy Report. It's been a while, been very busy over the summer, and as you guys know, I'm retired, and uh, retired people sometimes go, how the hell did I work and do all the stuff that I do these days? Anyways, on this episode, we have Ivan Moan, and I discovered him through Instagram. He has a podcast called Ski Heroes. Now, you listeners know that I interview a lot of different people, but there's a skiing slant to it. So uh, Ivan is a Norwegian descent living in the ski capital of the world, according to him, which is Houston, Texas in America. And uh, we have a lot in common, primarily Telemark skiing, but this episode is about uh, his life and how he got his podcast started and growing up primarily skiing, Nordic style, Telemark and ski jumping. Make yourself comfortable, grab a beverage, and enjoy this episode. I don't know. I have my beverage here, drinking Guinness tonight. Right on. Schinerbach, the Texas brew. (laughs) So uh, how did a Norwegian skier end up in Houston? (laughs) Yeah, it's a good good question. Uh, No, I think um, it's a long story. I'll try to do the short version of it, but... um, I was back in high school. I was a foreign exchange student in the United States. Uh, I ended up in a small town in uh, northwest Arkansas, of all places, and uh, stayed with a wonderful family. had a really good time, and uh, by the time I it was, uh, I wanted to go to college, I ended up uh, going back to uh, uh, college, and uh, yeah, so still kind of, uh, yeah, I did, you know, at the university, did a year at the University of Oklahoma, and um uh, so kind of working my way through Arkansas, Oklahoma, and then to Texas. <laughs> cool. So, uh, work in oil and gas, which, uh, uh not the best place. And, and I think we're melting our glaciers and, uh, making our winter shorter, but, uh, uh, work in oil and gas. So Houston, uh, became, uh, became a good, uh, good place. So yeah, I went back to Norway after college for a couple of years and then, uh, uh, moved here in 2008 to right. Houston. So I've been uh, 14 years in Houston. Cool. As you call it, the ski capital of the world. I like that That's in your right. podcast. Ivan has uh, got a podcast called Heroes of Skiing. Maybe you can tell the listeners who you are. Yes. So my name is Ivan. Uh, I, uh, like we touched on a little bit, I grew up in Norway. I grew up in a small town called Voss, just like the water, and um, which is a ski town. When I grew up, uh, there were there was one ski resort there. Now there's two, and uh, yeah, I grew up. I was fortunate. I grew up about five minutes away from the kind of the original ski ski town uh, ski resort in Voss. Um, so yeah, I lived in Norway for whatever the first 20 something years of my life. And then I uh, moved to Houston in 2008 and um, now I'm kind of based here and working and uh, jet off to wherever the snow is whenever I can. Now the, the really cool thing people listeners would, uh, would not know this. I was cruising through the Skippy report Instagram and I came across your feed. So I was like, Oh, it's got a couple episodes there. And the first one was on Sandra Nordheim. And I was like, I'm going to listen to this. And through that and the conversation that you and I have to do this tonight, uh, we find out that we're telemark skiers. However, you're crazier than I am because you're a ski jumper too. Yeah, at least I used to be. Right. uh, So I think uh, my, so the ski jumping is probably from my dad. He, uh, he was a ski jumper and 
this really sucks to admit, but my, so I was never like super good at ski jumping, but uh, my personal best is 79 meters and my dad's personal best is 80 meters by one meter. (laughs) (laughs) That's good for the old guy because he still has bragging rights, right? (laughs) Yeah, he uh, he enjoys that quite a bit, but uh, yeah, and then uh, um, the telemark for me was kind of a, I mean... It's just kind of my, my dad's telemark skiers. My grandpa, like my dad's dad, I mean, he was from the telemark province in, in Norway. And, right. Um, my uh, dad obviously learned the telemark turn when he was quite young. And I think it was well, the winter of 86, 87 when I really got into skiing when I was whatever, four years old. And uh, that's when I learned the telemark turn. My dad taught me that. I think I still remember the first time I did the turn, I did it the wrong way. So all right. <laughs> put one foot in front and turn to, yeah, turn, turn the wrong way. And my dad's like, no, it's the other way. So it's okay. So I still remember that. And, but I was like, yeah, so this is kind of like what I grew up on. It was kind of like, you know, I guess we'd call them cross country skis today. We're like a flimsy kind of clip toe bending, binding. And, uh, and uh yeah like leather leather boots leather shoes ski ski boots and that's kind of what i grew up with and i think my dad was kind of a, a pet peeve for him was that i had to learn how to ski on kind of he called it normal skis or the kind of cross-country skis before he would buy alpine skis for me right. so i think it was probably seven or so before i finally got alpine skis and so I skied on that for a couple of years but i think with the ski jumping we have a loose heel and i was kind of yeah, for me, it was kind of, yeah, kind of kept going back to Telemark. So that's kind of uh, kind of where that whole thing started. Right. Uh, you know what? We have a similar background. I grew up outdoors in Quebec, and uh, we we're cross-country skiers. In 1977, my family, my dad decided to move to Ontario, and we get here, and they don't have winter. And I was like, Dad, I think you made a mistake. Like, there's no snow here. And uh, nobody was cross-country skiing. Like, back in the day... So we moved here in 77, so I cross-country skied. Uh, maybe I started when I was eight years old, so that would have been uh, maybe 1972. I uh, came here, and, and like we had this place called uh, Mont St. Bruno. They had, um, I don't know how many kilometers of groomed trails. And uh, I, I remember they had like a monastery on the mountain, and all the trail system went through the monastery and all that sort of stuff. And we come to Ontario, and it's like, what's cross-country skiing? And I would have to go out into the fields. And, you know, I remember being 16 years old, going out into the conservation areas and grooming my own trails and skiing that way. So it hasn't been, oh, I don't, I don't, maybe 25 years at uh, 30 years that cross-country skiing has caught on here in Ontario. So, and then I, I never was really an alpine skier. I played basketball in university and uh, I didn't want to get hurt because I knew I wasn't going to school on my academics. So I had to save my body. So I, I didn't get into skiing until, like down alpine skiing until I was an adult. Yeah. And then introduced to uh, telemark skiing and have never looked back. It's a, it's a good place to be. At a- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I never had the opportunity to ski on uh, with leather boots and straight skis prior to all the modern technology. So that's one thing I I made sure I got. I have several pairs of straight skis and a pair of leather boots, and I go out and I've learned how to ski on those. I used used to even give lessons on those because I'm a, an instructor, and uh, I had this one fella, and um, he uh, 
he'd always skied on leather boots and straight skis and he had never tried the modern equipment. So I gave him a lesson and then he says, for my second lesson, can we do it on leather boots and straight skis? And I was like, yeah, as long as I can bring mine. He goes, you have them? So, but it was funny, you know how they say ski instructors aren't supposed to fall. So I had taught a lesson on modern equipment and then 10 minutes later I was in leather boots and straight skis and it's like, right, I fall down. It's like, that's right, you can't do that with this stuff. <laughs> you just have to smoosh the turn. It is a whole different sport. I, uh, I did not get, I was on leathers until... 2005 wow uh, so i remember in the 90s when um yeah like kind of like the plastic boots and the kind of the shaped skis and all of that stuff uh, started coming into telemark and being in Norwegian, of course, we're against any innovation and in skiing. So uh, I was like, no, that's not the proper thing. And uh, but I, I remember kind of into the, you know, in the nineties, like especially the late nineties, because also snowboarding was really big at that point. And, right. you know, going into the, you know, it was kind of when powder skiing, at least back home became really big. And I would go by, you know, with some of my friends that were alpine skiing or snowboarding and I would be kind of <laughs> waist deep in powder <laughs> trying to make any kind of turns on my two meter, you know, any straight skis and, and stuff. And it was kind of got to a point where, it was still fun, but it wouldn't, yeah, I, you know, I kind of, you know, I looked around, I was like, you guys are having more fun than I ha- than I am, and I don't know why I stuck with it for so long, but yeah, and I think it was right before Christmas of 05, so kind of the very end of that year, I bought my first pair of uh, plastic boots, and I was like, you know, in the shaped skis, and it was a whole, whole different, uh, yeah, a whole different thing, and uh, I kind of obviously never looked back. I've tried, I think, just once or twice since then, I've tried to go back on the leather stuff, and it's, I just can't do it anymore. It's like, torture, right? To, yeah. Like, you know, as a kid, I, I could jump, you know, 20 meters on that stuff and would do some, I think looking back, it would still probably be qualified as fairly crazy stuff, but there's just no way I can do that anymore. It, uh, yeah, it's a whole different sport. I, I know Josh Madsen at Free Hill Life. He always makes sure all the new guys at his shop in Utah, they have a day where everybody's got to get out on street skis, leather boots, and yeah, it's uh, it's pretty funny. Yeah. So um, uh, maybe maybe I'll just try it again. Yeah, for sure, man. So how did you get into or or how did you come up with your podcast idea? Yeah, that's a good uh, good question too. I think uh, I mean I I kind of been playing around with the idea for really over a year, maybe more. And I think I started on episode one about the one about Sondra Norheim. I started. Gosh, that's, that's, that's a probably a year ago when I kind of started on, you know, trying to put something together right. and then just kind of never really got around to finishing it, never really got around to a lot of that. But it's like kind of what I wanted. I mean, I think for a long time, I've always, my, my whole life, always loved good stories and um, also loved skiing. I mean, I think, uh, you know, growing up, we had one TV channel uh, in Norway, and on Saturday and Sunday, I mean, it was started about 9.30 to 10, 10 o'clock in the morning, and it would go on until about 6 p.m. It would be nothing but skiing in the winter uh, right. on TV. So if I was not out skiing, I would always watch skiing. So I remember all of these, you know, all these people that, uh, I mean, it'd be any sport, alpine, ski jumping, alpine ski, you know, cross-country, biathlon, whatever, I remember the big stars of each year and always loved kind of learning about them and the stories uh, about them. And so 
Yeah, so that kind of became the foundation of the podcast, and um, it was just kind of, yeah, for each episode, I want to talk about someone that uh, has, I mean, basically, I mean, it's called Ski Heroes in a sense that, uh, you know, I want to be someone that uh, has excelled at skiing or, you know, had some sort of impact on skiing, and I want to tell their story, but also, it also ends up being kind of my version of their story, right, or my perception of their story, because I don't want to just kind of regurgitate like a Wikipedia page. Right. And so, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So with that, it's like uh, kind of probably what I realized uh, during the first year when I was off and on working on episode number one. But it's like it's a fair amount of work that goes into it. But uh, it's been, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And so, uh, yeah, so I've uh, it's kind of kept going with it. Yeah, it's it's crazy how much learning has to go on this year. When I was talking earlier about not having any teenagers in my house, my uh, cousin approached me because his son wants to go to vet school and he lives out of province. So he's already graduated high school, grade 11 in Quebec, and he would go on to CGEP, which is like junior college. But when he'd go to university, he'd have to pay out of province fees. So they approached us and say, hey, you know, what would you think if Jordy came and lived with you? And I was like, oh, yeah, for sure, man. So we got it all set up. And so we'll, we'll see how, how this goes. But when I was talking with his, uh, his mom and I was telling her, telling her about the podcast, she goes, man, you're just like a te- still teacher, teaching and learning. I said, well, I don't really care about the teaching part. But for me, my podcast is a little selfish. It's about what I'm interested in. I'm I'm." forever learning and it's really interesting sort of all the background information when you delve into it you know if you want to do a good interview you've got to prepare and you know for the last little bit of my career my administrators made me teach English (laughs) so I I lived and and promoted you know doing all that research and and writing and organizing and then sometimes like tonight it's just organic you know i i the only thing i know of you is uh your instagram for your podcast and your podcast so it was uh it's awesome to do this i, I like the really organic ones too yeah honestly i was telling some uh, some of my friends uh, i was doing this tonight and uh you know it's like they're all what are you going to talk about i said well i'm going to drink beer and talk about telemark skiing i mean how difficult can it be well you know what you would fit in with my friend yarl and so <laughs> so he yarl berg he's of Norwegian descent and uh, he's a ski bum and he lives in Eugene, Oregon. And when the pandemic happened and everybody's skiing ended and my friends are all like, what are we going to do? We can't ski. We can't get together and drink beer afterwards. So we started doing it via the different interfaces on the internet. And uh, when I posted a picture up, Jarl goes, Hey, how do I get in on it? So you know, he's in Oregon, the other guys here in Ontario. And then eventually, you know, we had Josh in Utah, Rick Hirsch in Colorado. Uh, we had Anthony Hunter out of uh, Australia join in. So it was, and so we call it gear, beer, and anything weird. <laughs> nice, I like it. Yeah, and, <laughs> and we, a couple of these we episodes. what's that? I think I've listened to uh, at least a couple of these yeah. things. Like, yeah, the gear beard. Yeah. Anything yeah. Weird. And uh, so, you know, I remember one of the first times we got together, this was before I actually started the podcast and we were just talking and we're talking about skiing. And then one of the guys, he's a head greenskeeper at a golf course. And so somebody starts asking him about, okay, so how do I get rid of the weeds in my lawn? You know, it's, it's lots of fun. I, I like doing the learning section. Never, always a lifelong learning learner. 
Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, for sure. No, no, I think, no, it's the thing, I mean, it's, I don't think about it. It's, it's on my end. There's so much work that goes into each episode that we do, but, uh, uh, I'm working on episode five now. So just obviously it's still just kind of started, but, uh, it's, uh, I think I'll, yeah, I already got uh, getting good ideas on the Halloween specials and Christmas specials and all these things. So it's, uh, I think I'll stick with it for a while. It's been, uh, it's been a really fun hobby so far. And even though it's fairly time consuming, uh, and yours is more like a good. historical sort of podcast, right? You're presenting the information that you learn. It's not like an interactive one, like we have, correct? Yeah, that's that's right. It's basically me me telling the story of someone. And, right. Uh, I realized so far which episode five that'll be different. But uh, I had a couple episodes there where basically, uh, you know, and I realized I kind of made a long list of everybody I wanted to cover, and a lot of them were kind of like the late '80s into the '90s gears when I was uh, growing up, and those are the ones I remember. So I was like, well, it's probably good to vary a little bit too. So uh, I'm going back to the '50s and '60s. Oh, uh, cool. On this next episode, but yeah. Nice. So let's get let's get into skiing because I remember you you sent me a, a message that you had this uh, video up on YouTube about skiing in Murin this year. Yeah, that um. But that's some of the stuff. Really, it's hard from your chest GoPro to see how steep it is. But I could see when and some of the times where you're cutting across, the pitches are pretty steep. Yeah, Murin was just amazing. It uh, I went there in 2019 for the Telemark Only Festival. Okay. Yep. And that's the first time I went there. And that for that, I mean, that's that's the first weekend of uh, May when uh, that's that takes place. And it's just like the very top of the resort that's still open. I think it's like one gondola and one chairlift, and that's basically it. And it's still, we actually had fresh powder in yeah first week of May, and uh, like the the final day actually got canceled because it snowed snowed too much oh, there. So it was like a yeah a unique experience, uh, but. Uh, uh, I just kind of remember looking at this, like, this was really cool, you know, for the very top and then looking around like this, you know, it's gotta be amazing. You can go in everywhere else here. So I went back this past winter and I spent one week there and that, uh, it's really steep, but the off piste and like the free ride stuff there, it's just amazing. I mean, it would, uh, I pretty much had to change underwear afterwards, <laughs> a couple of times, but it was, it was, uh, definitely the most, some of the most, uh, extreme stuff I've ever done. Uh, like you said, it's pretty steep and, uh, it's kind of, I look through the videos and the footage I have still, like it's, uh, I can kind of feel that, like, uh, it takes me back. Like, I can feel the fear I had going down some of those uh, slopes. But uh, I'm going back next winter. That's uh, Are you nice? Try to, try to repeat a success. That's not always the best thing to do, but I'm going right. to try to go back. It was a really cool place. Uh, and I think it was kind of another thing I loved about it, too. Like, it, I spent two weeks in the Alps last summer, last winter, and – that was the first time I really, outside of the Telemark Only Festival in 2019, that's the you know first time I really skied in the Alps. And um, so I went one week in Murin and one week in Verbier. And I think Verbier didn't have like the, the best snow winter last winter. It was still, we had a lot of fun there, but uh, conditions weren't quite as good. But I had some really good powder in Murin that uh, made that trip totally worth it. And they kind of from North America, and I don't know, you know, on the Canadian side, I haven't skied as much there, but uh, kind of where we're seeing a lot of the times in the States now with the big ski passes and everything, it's like once you have a big powder day, like it's, you know, you stand in line for sometimes hours, and then you get one or maybe two runs, and it tends to be tracked out. And uh, right. 
to the mirror and like and uh yeah, we got like half a meter of powder one morning and i showed up five minutes before the lift opens and there's 10 people ahead of me in line and right. it's like goodness gracious i mean why have i gone here before so so yeah i'm definitely going back and hopefully uh, we'll still get some get some good powder this winter that you know if if you know where you want to go or when you're traveling around since my wife and i are both retired i think it was january and february of 2020 we were kind of following storm cycles accidentally in in northeastern North America, and we had some at the cottage. My cottage is uh, an hour and a bit southeast of Montreal, and then we uh, came home. I live on the shore of Lake Ontario, an hour or an hour east of Toronto, and then we have uh, a whole ski area in Collingwood, which is northwest of here. It's on Lake Huron, and there's a lot of private clubs there that were started. I'm going to think more like uh, outdoor clubs for the v- various faculties at the University of Toronto and that sort of stuff. And they got really good snow. So we were up there and we got like a ton of snow. And then we left there and we went to Ellicottville, New York, which just gets pounded with snow. And we were skiing at this one resort and we were still getting knee deep powder at two o'clock in the afternoon. However, it was the middle of the week when everybody's working. <laughs> and that's the advantage of being retired. Yeah, I uh, obviously don't have that. Uh, Not yet. Don't have that advantage yet. But I think that's like a little bit of the like the one good thing that came out of the pandemic, at least uh, for me. Uh, this past winter, I definitely took advantage of the I call it the mountain office. Right. <laughs> that would. Uh, yeah, I had a couple of times I jetted off to uh, Park City one week and up to Crested Butte in Colorado one week, and uh, yeah, I actually came back to on the toward the very end. Like there was like this late storm in April uh, coming through Utah uh, this past winter, so I did a few days uh, back in Park City. So basically, it's kind of moved my office up to the mountains and. Uh, you know, obviously on the weekend you get to ski and then during the week you have to work, but at least you can, you can always get a, get in like an hour and a half or two hours a day of a, kind of run lunch hour or so right. skiing. And, uh, that's like the, the working remotely for with the line of work I do, I can't do it a hundred percent, but I do it a week at a time. It's uh, quite good. So hopefully this winter or two, I'll be able to, uh, take advantage of that. That's awesome. When, when you go back to Switzerland, if you go to Verbier, you have to look up Bob Masri. He's in Verbier. I interviewed him for one of the podcasts, and then he was on another one because he helped uh, bring together uh, Jimmy Peterson, who's uh, skied all over the world, I think like 700 resorts on all the continents. And Yeah, you should look him up. He's a huge uh, promoter of Telemark. He, he's one of the guys who uh, organizes the Telemark Journal. I'm, I don't know if you've heard of that. <clears throat> I've not heard of that one, uh, but I – so. I did not, I didn't meet with him. I think his son is maybe Sam. Sam, yes. Uh, I have not met with him, but uh, when I was in Murin, I uh, just through Instagram, I met up with a, a telemark skier called uh, Rolf uh, Rothlesberger. Okay. He was an absolutely amazing telemark skier, uh, like the best one I think I've ever seen. Right. And so he knows Sam, and he at least said, you need to follow him on Instagram. Right. And, so I'm following him there, and I was going to reach out, but uh, I went to Muir in a little bit, uh, kind of a solo trip, uh, right. and then through Verbier, I had some friends come down from Norway, so I didn't didn't want to, uh, yeah, um, 
yeah abandon them too much time outside of that but yeah. uh, next time i'll definitely look them up but yeah. uh yeah I've, I've seen some of the stuff they do on on instagram and they're definitely, definitely yeah very good. Bob, bob has led a colorful ski life he'd be a real cool guy to hang with for a few days i know when i did the podcast i said so when do you want to start it he goes how about uh 8 p.m your time and i was like that's two o'clock in the morning your time man like he goes yeah i'm a night owl very nice yeah uh, uh uh, I, w- I wish I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not me, man. I, I I like to get up early and get fresh tracks and and uh, before anybody else is there. Yeah, for sure. Where have you skied in Norway? Did you pretty much just ski around where you grew up, or were you able to travel to different places? I, I don't know how populated the ski resorts are in Norway. I know I know the cross country skiing is insane because I've had several friends uh racing the world cup even like 30 years ago and they would tell us about you know people cross-country ski to the train they take the train into work you know cross-country skiing everywhere yeah it's uh that's funny so in norway i've only skied in Voss, my hometown okay and um uh i'm on the weekends i mean kind of the pastime is to go i mean we can call it cross-country skiing it's more like ski hiking i mean basically yep Family and our family would get up, uh, you know, go to like you drive up towards the mountain and then you park somewhere and then you start hiking up and skis up as far as you want to go. And uh, kind of when we were younger, like it, you know, it would typically be, you know, for I don't know, 30, it felt like longer, but in reality, probably like 30 minutes before we got tired. Right. And then you just kind of set up camp, and, uh, you know, our dad would bring a shovel, would make a jump, and would make bumps or whatever. And then you got a packed lunch and hot chocolate and oranges and these things. So you just kind of sit there and hang out all day. And then uh, at the end of it, you ski back down from, you know, however far you, you manage to hike up. Wow. Nice. And, uh, so that's kind of like the pastime on the weekends that uh it's kind of you know i was quite old before i really got my lift uh had farm fields outside of the house where i grew up and uh that's where i learned to ski so it was kind of like I said my parents would take uh, me and my brother on these yeah go up uh, kind of hike up on the on the mountains as far as we we wanted and then uh once i got into um, yeah, doing a little bit more of a uh, kind of ski area, kind of skiing. I mean, yeah, in Norway, I've only skied uh, in the two ski resorts in Voss, and uh, they're uh, both quite good. Um, it's not that I, I mean, I don't know why I haven't been anywhere else. It's just kind of, <laughs> I guess, hadn't been a priority there. Like, I've been, like, in North America, I've been to some places, and uh, uh, yeah, I'm kind of working my way around the Alps now. Like, I'm already, yeah, I'm going back, going back to Muren, obviously. This winter, but I'm trying to find somewhere in Austria to go to. So, I love trying new places, but uh, for whatever reason, in Norway, I have skied one place. Now, do do they have a lot of? But I've done a lot of it. Do do they have a lot of uh, ski resorts for alpine, like downhill ski resorts? Yeah, for sure. So there's uh, a lot of ski resorts uh, in Norway. They're typically not as big as certainly we have in the U.S. or in the Alps. Right. So like typically a little bit smaller ski areas. It's, uh, the one in Moss, for instance, I think has maybe like 10 lifts or something. And that's like a fairly large resort. I mean, it's not the largest, but it's a fairly large resort back home. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think it's like, you know, at, um, uh, like in the vertical, typically 
Uh, I mean, some of the in North America, you have like a thousand meter vertical. Some of the some place in the Alps, you have fifteen hundred meter plus vertical. Right. And I think Boss has maybe eight hundred meter, and that's that's pretty big. I mean, a lot of places in Norway, I just had a few have a few hundred meters of a, a vertical. Right. And so, it uh yeah, like you definitely still have a lot of ski resorts, and uh, I mean, we tend to have tend to have some good World, World Cup uh, skiers too and in, in the yeah. alpine skiing uh, you know side of it but i think kind of the way i mean look at austria switzerland or some of those like alpine countries i mean they just have so many awesome skiers and norway is typically i mean it's been just a handful like one or two that have been in you know at the very very top and right. have been doing really good but uh you know it, it's like kind of and for whatever reason we've been able to keep it to where like once like one or two have been really good retire like another one or two have been right. able to take over yep. but it's not like in austria where you, uh, you know six or seven like up who could easily win yeah it, it sounds like some of the resorts that we have around here uh my sister skis um she has been skiing around where we live uh we're my kids grew up, the resort has 300-foot vertical. <laughs> I'll actually ski here in town. We'll have a snow day, and the buses are canceled. But the kids will know that I've been out at lunchtime skiing because they'll ski, see my tracks. There's this one road, and the trees are spaced perfectly, so I use them as gates, and I figure eight them. And they'll come back the next day and go, Hey, Mr. Woods, you were out skiing, weren't you? And I was like, oh, yeah. So I, I remember my sister skiing like the Rockies, Europe mostly. And then when my girls were a little older, we were skiing around the cottage. And many of the mountains are maybe 2,500 feet high. Jay Peak is uh, one of the higher ones at 4,000. And um, she, we were skiing, and she's like, wow, you guys have are good skiers and fast. And I always told her, it's like, doesn't matter where you ski, it's how much you ski. I think I was working full-time one year, and I still got almost 80, I think 79 days of skiing in. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. So, but but it helped because, you know, I want to ski, so we have a ski club at school, you know, so I would run that. So, you know, for about 10 weeks, uh, once a week, we always took the kids out, so that counted as 10 days of skiing for me. Yeah, for sure. No, that's, uh, that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, Fortunate, uh, growing up, like it, uh, I would very often cross country ski to school. Right. And, uh, there were these, and it's all developed now into, into houses, uh, housing and stuff. But, uh, when I went to that uh, elementary school, there were these farm fields right by the school and a pretty good incline. And so, and I lived kind of on the way, the school was kind of the bottom of the valley. I lived kind of halfway up. And then at the, you know, if you go further up toward the mountain, that's where the ski resort is. And, so I would, yeah, put on my cross-country skis in the morning and just ski ski down to school. And then in between classes and uh, certainly on the lunch break and stuff, we'd go up on the field and we'd have jumps and we'd have – so, like, yes, yeah, sports back home, it's not like like in the States and stuff where you have – it's all organized through school. So it's still kind of it's kind of organized through community clubs, if you will. Right. But, uh, so we didn't have, like, school clubs or school teams, but uh, we definitely – yeah, we just kind of did our little, we had some slalom runs, we had some ski jumps, we had everything, just kind of, we did it all on the cross-country skis. and uh, It's uh, activities uh, that you would do at lunch hour that people these days would like go, oh my gosh, you can't do that. 
Yeah, I, I don't think that will be uh, – some of the stuff we did, I don't think it would be allowed. Uh, well, you know what is interesting? I, I learned something the other night. I was watching a, uh, something on YouTube that I follow, and they were talking about this guy. I forget his name. And he, he's talking about kids learning, and it's like you learn the most when you do something dangerous carefully. And it's like, that would be the same sort of – you know, like you really can't get hurt because – where you would be skiing growing up in the fields and that sort of stuff, it's not hard pack. It's soft, right? So if you wipe out, yeah. it's kind of, you know, it's like falling in water sort of. Yeah, I know for sure. And uh, I think you're younger and more agile and uh, your center of gravity is lower. So, uh, yeah, even if you hurt yourself. I think I've been fortunate. I mean, I've definitely hurt myself uh, fairly bad skiing. I've never injured myself. So I've been uh, pretty fortunate on that. But uh that's not for the lack of trying, especially as a kid. I definitely. Right. <laughs> so I, I, I have to tell you, I have to tell you, I'm married to a woman whose last name is Murphy. And I don't know if you've heard of Murphy's Law. Oh, yeah. So if there's something wooden near you, you need to touch it right now. Because when people say shit like that around me, <laughs> stuff goes sideways. I've had kids go at school. I said, you know, you need to be careful because you're going to end up breaking your, your wrist or whatever. And they come back the next day. And they're like on crutches and they're like, you know what you said, Mr. Woods, it really did happen. And I was like, I told you, you say stuff like that around me, it's going to go sideways. So yeah, I, yeah, you know what, my my childhood was the same sort of thing. You know, we were always in the bush playing. My mom knew where we were. She probably would never be able to find us, but she knew the general area where we were, you know, going to and from school. I lived in a small subdivision, like right on the very edge of suburbia. And it would take me maybe 20 minutes to walk to school in the wintertime, but coming home from school, that was probably about three hours, or it seemed like three hours, because where we lived was where the municipality put all the snow after they plowed the roads and, and that sort of stuff, or they blew the roads with snowblowers. We played there on the way home all the time, you know, it's, it was crazy. Lot, lots of fun, and, you know, things that kids unfortunately don't do these days. Yeah, so true. I think probably a little bit on the tail end too. I mean, Voss still gets a lot of uh, a lot of good snow, but uh, I think without uh, without getting political, but uh, kind of on the with uh, climates changing and everything, I in my, within my lifetime I can see a difference, and uh, especially not so much up on the mountains in Voss, but definitely kind of down in the and down in the town area. And yep. uh, I think kids growing up there get the same snow that uh, I certainly got as a kid, and uh, it. It was, um, yeah, I feel very fortunate to grow up like that. And, uh, I mean, I think, you know, depending on where you grew up in the world, I mean, you're always going to have stuff that's special to you and, right. uh, you know, these things. But I think for, for, for us that are into skiing and these things, I feel, feel quite fortunate. So, yeah, definitely shaped, shaped a lot of who I am today. Yeah, that that's like me. You know, I, I didn't ski alpine ski too much, cross-country skied, snowshoed. I was always in the bush. It, it definitely shaped who I am and, and has shaped my family. And, uh, you know, I was able to, uh, pass the love of the outdoors and skiing onto my children. My, my one daughter always wanted to play hockey. And I was like, no, I said, for what it costs for one person to play hockey here in Canada, the whole family can get a ski pass at the local mountain. I said, so we're going to go there. So we had this great little place and we had three boys racing the World Cup for an alpine snowboard racing from that little place. And it's, wow. a, it's a really great 
safe place for children to learn how to navigate a mountain for when they get older, they can feel confident in going to a much larger resort and skiing and, and that sort of stuff and have a little more freedom. Yeah, no, uh, sounds, uh, sounds really cool. But, uh, I have almost a ro romantic view of this. And before you guess you should as a, in a childhood, but I think, uh, obviously growing up, I had kids or I had friends that, uh, did Alpine racing and, uh, right. that is, and that's an expensive sport today, and it yes. always has been. And uh, I remember some, I mean, you know, against little kids, but I mean, like, I remember, like, they would kind of tell me about the amount that uh, their parents would spend every year on gear and travel and everything. And ski jumping that I did was, it was very much of a budget sport because I think it's like very much like the skis and the boots and the suit. I mean, it's kind of like you could, you would sell a pair of skis for 50 bucks and then you buy a new pair for 50 bucks. And it was like, it was kind of like in the secondhand market, everything to right. where every once in a while, like my parents had to put in between like 10 or 20 bucks. Yep. But it was like, it was pretty cheap. I mean, all the, all the competitions for the most part were within, I mean, at the most an hour drive. I mean, it was, and, uh, and stuff. And like, it was all kind of volunteer basis too. And, uh, and so, I mean, it's probably different now for, you know, the, the few places to still, still do ski jumping, but I mean, you know, it's like probably a good, you know, uh, in my part of the country where the, you know, weather is fairly unstable, we typically don't get a lot of good ski jumpers. Now, one person I, uh, ski jumped over, he's a couple of years older than me, but, uh, I ski jumped with, he did go off to, uh, win the Olympics. So you cool. know, never said never, but, uh. But, uh, you know, we spent so much of our, you know, our training would be prepping the hill. Like we'd be on our, right. on our ski jumping skis, like trying to prep the hill. And at the end of the, you know, evening would get one or two jumps and be completely exhausted. But, uh, uh like I, said, I think, I think probably have a very romantic view of this now, but it's, it's, it's very good memories. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. Up here, when I see the kids and the different types of skis that they have for the different types of courses and. They're paying their coaches and, and that sort of stuff. It's it, it gets expensive. Thankfully, my daughter, my, my one daughter, she she did not want to do racing. She was a snowboard instructor and did whatever she did. And then the my other daughter, she wanted to do alpine snowboard racing because it was different and she liked the camaraderie of a very tiny group. To me, that's what I kind of think about uh, telemark skiing. We're like small group, lots of camaraderie. You meet a telemark skier on the mountain, and uh, it's like, yeah, it's your brother, your sister, <laughs> from another mother or mister. Yeah, that's, that's so true. I think so. I don't know if it's ever been different in North America. That I don't know. I think I remember back to the uh, kind of late '90s, early 2000s, heyday in Norway. And so you went to Austria, and you would have maybe you know 30, 40, 50 percent uh, of the skiers would be telemark. Right. Like it was a, you know, really large percentage. And then you had a fair amount of snowboard and then an alpine skiing for like almost, almost like a fairly small percentage for a while. Really? Wow. So it was like that, uh, just a handful of years. Like I think it was late nineties and definitely kind of early, early two thousands. And then, uh, so that, and that's kind of, I think it's kind of for me, since I telemark is just kind of what I grew up with. Uh, for me, it, it was never the special thing. Like it was just kind of what you did. Right. And, then it was super popular for a while. So at that point, it's like, uh, yeah, like this is kind of what everyone does. And then it uh, popularity just took a nosedive at some point. I think I read an article here it was last winter or last couple of years where 
I mean, the you know the sale of uh, telemark gear had plummeted like 90 plus percent. You know, right. and that's kind of what we see. I wonder, I mean, I don't know if it's ever been big in, in North America, but if you go to a Norwegian resort, like kind of make the joke, I feel like an old like kind of blacksmith over the fireplace trying to keep the trade alive <laughs> while the, you know, the rest of the world has, uh, has moved on kind of thing. And uh, uh, yeah, so it's, it's definitely a, di- a different thing now. And kind of like to your point, I mean, it's, it's funny, like it, uh, I, I, I'll go to a new mountain that I've never been to before. And even if I go by myself, I can, you know, get on Instagram or get on somewhere and just kind of, yeah, we can look up some telemark skiers and you have a ski buddy for a day. And yeah. uh, I think that's quite unique. It's a, it's a really cool little community. It's a small community, but uh, it, it's tight knit. I enjoy traveling all over the place. I remember one of the funniest times, you know, I have two daughters. You always tell them, you know, you have to be careful where you go, make sure you're in pairs, this, that, and the other thing. So I, I saw an invitation on Facebook to join the U.S. Uh, tel- National Telemark team for training at Mount Snow in Vermont. So I uh, contacted the person who put the invitation out there, and I said, can anybody come? She's like, yeah, sure. And I said, okay, cool. And so we kind of started this conversation, and uh, so I got in, got there, and my girls were like, where are you going, Dad? I was like, going to Mount Snow. Who are you staying with? I don't know, some lady. <laughs> and, and they're like, that's not safe. And my, and my wife goes, it's okay, girls. Your dad's a telemark skier. <laughs> However, my, my wife has since become a telemark skier. Yeah, I know. That is excellent. We were talking about how telemark skiing is shrinking and that sort of stuff. And uh, the little secret that people don't know is when they see us skiing, they're like, doesn't that kill your knees? And it's like, no, we know that, right? It just kills our thighs. That's right. <laughs> and uh, I have a degree in phys ed and who I used to instruct with, I think Holly, I think she's got a degree in kinesiology. And so we talked about how telemark skiing is much more dynamic than alpine skiing and how it builds a stronger knee. And I was uh, watch, uh, reading a post on Facebook about this guy, I think it was in Telemark Tips or something like that. He had, he had a wipeout. He injured a meniscus. He's not sure whether to go back on, the ski, on Telemark skis and that sort of stuff. And I had a, a fall in university dryland training for basketball, and I tore my ACL. And uh, so for a few years, I wore a brace. I got rid of the brace. I felt pretty good. Uh, I have since really injured my knee, but I've been gently nursing it back to health. And I went to see my new sports medicine doctor. And as he's testing my knee and stuff, I'm telling him about the injury and stuff. And he says to me, well, I hate to tell you this, but you really don't have an ACL in that right knee. I was like, really? So I just wear these uh, super light, this one super light brace that the uh, offensive and defensive linemen in the Canadian Football League are encouraged to wear. It's like a neoprene brace but it's not neoprene it's something else and it doesn't lose its elasticity so i i slide that underneath my pock knee pads and i'm good to ski and i don't have an acl like i don't have a problem so you know if these old guys maybe my age and older who are alpine skiers who've got worn out knees who can't ski maybe they should take up telemark skiing that's probably true it uh yeah that's funny you say like that uh telemark kind of being uh 
think the recruiting into Telemark is not uh, super super good because uh, I just turned 40 here last week, and uh, the one thing, uh, great thing I can say about Telemark, I still feel like a youngster. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm I, okay. So then I'm middle aged at 50, almost 59. <laughs> I think it's great because uh, yeah, I go up on a mountain. Uh, meet, I mean, yeah, I think it's Park City last winter, and. Um, Somebody like yeah, sixty four or something. He said uh, he he's still great shape and uh, yeah, telemark skiing. And uh, I was like, yeah, gosh, I got uh, I got a lot of years uh, left of this. Like that's uh, that's great. That's well, feel good about it. You have a lot because Taylor Johnson, who works at Freehill Life, he's the shop manager. His grandfather, I think, is ninety, and he still telemark skis. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, uh, so they have a whole family like. Lloyd, he's the grandfather, and Taylor's dad, and Taylor, and Taylor's brother, and I think maybe his mom may even be a Telemark skier. Yeah, so the whole the whole family uh, Telemark skis. It's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's uh super. Yeah, so uh, that, that makes me feel good. I think when I was uh, younger, like kind of late twenties or something, I was like, yeah, maybe I have you know five or ten years left of this, and then. Uh, <laughs> Now I feel like, yeah, uh, I'm in honestly better shape now than what I was back then. So nice. uh, <laughs> this keeps going. We'll I know and my wife, Telemark skiing has extended her ski career because uh, she has a fused spine and uh, she finds Telemark skiing much easier on her body. Now she skis on Telemark equipment, but she's not always doing Telemark turns. She does them whenever she feels like, right? And whenever she wants to do Alpine turns, she does Alpine turns. Yeah, and that's I think that's kind of the beauty of it. Like it, uh, I mean, I do telemark turns for the most part when I'm on a on a mountain, but uh, I'm not like religious about it. I mean, if I'm right. tired or whatever, like you got the option to do something else, and uh, yeah, it can go just parallel if you want. And uh, yeah, it's kind of been a little bit of the beauty of it too. And yeah. I think kind of on, um, I mean, it's like. I think with uh, telemark skiing, there's like there's nowhere to hide. I mean, like your quads just get such a workout, and if you're not in, I mean, I think you know, last you know many winters, kind of by the time August comes around, I'll start doing squats, I start doing lunges, I start getting ready for the season. And uh, I think if I did not do do telemark skiing, I probably wouldn't go through this. Right. But uh, uh, I think I had an experience many years ago where. I was a little bit out of shape and I was supposed to ski for three days. And the first day I had an absolute blast. Uh, this was back in, uh, I live in Houston, but I was back in Voss for, uh, to, to visit my family. First day I had an absolute blast, uh, you know, skiing with my friends and stuff. But then the uh, second day, like, uh, my legs were so sore and I, I kind of forced myself through it. And the third day it was, I mean, I remember just kind of, I think I did one run and like, it was just kind of, I was just laughing like uh, how sore I was. <laughs> there's just, yeah, there's no, nowhere to hide. So I think after that, I was like, okay, by the time uh, winter's getting closer, like we got to get in shape. I think that's, I mean, but maybe that's part of the secret too, that, uh, it's going to kind of forces you to do some exercises and stay and stay in decent shape because yeah, otherwise it's going to almost like no point. I, I remember when I first got back into telemark skiing, uh, not this past winter, I think it was, oh no, it was this past winter. <clears throat> so I hadn't skied since March of 2020 and I usually ski a fair amount. And uh, so what we did, we ski at this small, uh, it's not a mom and pop mountain anymore, but it used to be. And uh, they sold it to a bunch of entrepreneurs who are lawyers and uh, developers who are local 
And what's really great is they haven't gone really big. They pick one, maybe two capital projects a year, like update a lift, put in a new lift, you know, work on the, the, the first year they were working on the main chalet and that sort of stuff. And they have a great midweek ski package. It's $99 for the year. You ski Monday to Thursday, and then your pass allows you to ski. You have to buy uh, tickets on it for thir- uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but they're always more than 50% off. Sounds amazing. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, I'm going to ski here all the time. And uh, so I, I remember last year we went in, did all the COVID protocol, got our passes, and then I know the mountain really well, so I left the main resort, went around the back to where there's this little tiny chair and a parking lot where nobody was, and that's where we operated out all winter. But the first day you ride this ancient little chair up to this very gentle run and doing my telemark turns <laughs> my quads were going dude what are you doing what is this stuff and it's like really gentle but after the second run it's like you get the muscle memory back and and that sort of stuff but yeah I, the, the kids at school when i would start skiing early de- early to mid december on the monday after that weekend they would see me walking down the stairs at school backwards and they would know, they go, why are you doing that? And I said, well, because the type of skiing I do kills my quads. And when you step forward down, your quads activate and they shake and they hurt. So if you walk down the stairs backwards, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> Good story. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So they always knew when I had started skiing. Yeah. But, uh... Yeah, not, uh, I don't know when I'll get to kick this season off. Hopefully, maybe late late November, early December. But that's, yeah, it seems like, I mean, so it really helps to train. But uh, it seems like this is kind of whatever I do. Like, <laughs> kind of got to work out a few kinks uh, right. at the beginning of the season and kind of get back into it. But. Where would the closest ski place be for you? Would it be in New Mexico? Well, it's all kind of, honestly, it's, all kind of the same i mean oh, it? you know if i fly to denver that's like two hours away but then uh i have to you know it's like an hour hour and a half to drive to the near like you know, wherever yes. you want to go bale or breckenridge or you know wherever you end up uh and uh i have not skied in new mexico but i think it'd be about this i mean a similar amount of you know you know a flight and then or a time flying and then you still got to drive somewhere honestly the one of the easier places to go is somewhere in Utah because we fly to Salt Lake City and then you just Uber from there because like all right. the resorts are pretty close to the uh, to the to the airport. But uh, so it, it's all kind of within three hours ish. I can typically be uh, at a ski resort, but that's kind of it. So it's like it uh it's okay for like a at least like a long weekend. I can I can make it work. Uh, but then that's kind of also where when it tends to be kind of crowded. So I uh, I try to at least whenever I go, I like get at least one, maybe two, sometimes three days uh, during the week, and right. then maybe like a weekend. Yeah. I know. I, I recently saw a map of all the ski resorts in the U.S. and it's like, wow, the East, we are spoiled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because like from from my cottage. The furthest I will drive is two hours and we'll ski. That'll be like Sunday River or Sugarloaf and like Sunday River, they call the most horizontal. There's eight peaks, I don't know, 154 runs. Uh, and they're pretty decent runs. And, you know, J Peak is just just under an hour. I can ski Mount Orford. It's 
26 minutes and I've got my boots on and I'm sitting in a chair. So we have, you know, half a dozen mountains within 45 minutes to an hour uh, from my cottage. Yeah, so we're pretty spoiled in, in the east. And I kind of look out at the west, it's like, hmm, it's far and few between sometimes. Yeah, it is. And I mean, there's some really good ones, but uh, it's also like it, there's not that many. And uh, there's a lot of people here, too. I mean, a lot of the resorts are quite big, but uh, they tend to get quite crowded, too. And so, but I mean, it, it is what it is. Yeah. I think uh, going out of Houston, obviously, you have to you have to fly somewhere. Otherwise, you end up driving for like 20 hours. Or something. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, see, I, I, yeah. I don't enjoy the airport. I don't mind flying, but I don't enjoy the airport experience. So or I'll drive. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's like kind of funny with Houston it's like there's actually a couple of uh ski shops in Houston there's like a fair amount of skiers here really uh, wow Houston is I think the most diverse city in the United States yeah, it is uh, yeah and I think in terms of you know people like almost it's funny when you live here I mean I've lived here 14 years now but like almost nobody's from here like everybody right. just kind of moves here for work and so you have people from all over, the, all over the United States, but also all over the world. And I mean, it's, you know, living here, it's, uh, it's quite cheap. Like the, you know, you can have a pretty decent life for, you know, not necessarily like a huge income and it's, you know, Houston is, it's not pretty. Uh, it's been, uh, you know, d- d- described as, uh, you kind of got to put a bag over his head, but, <laughs> <laughs> you but, might uh, get some Houstonians angry out, you know, no, I, think, I think most people will agree with that, but at the same time, <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, we got, uh, like, got two airports. You can fly direct pretty much anywhere you want in the world and it's easy to get anywhere. And so, yeah, it even like, you know, for, for me to, to go skiing, it is, uh, like last winter, I skied 34 days. Nice. I mean, living in Houston, that's, I mean, it was last winter was a little bit, a little bit, uh, you know, unique for me. It's, it's not, uh, useful that I ski that much, but, uh, yeah, that's still doable, very doable out of Houston. And, uh, but at the same time, I mean, growing up in a ski town where I could walk to the ski resort. Yeah. That's yeah. A big difference. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, uh, I think we'll, kind of bring it to an end here because uh it's what is it 10 o'clock here my time i I was amazed that houston is so far west and you're just still in the central time zone yeah i guess so i think i don't know exactly where that is i think it's still a little bit a little bit uh i think at the kind of at the end of um uh, at the end of Texas, going into New Mexico is where they change it back to, to mountain time, I guess. Oh, okay. so that's still, Texas is massive, right? So if I drive from Houston to uh, Los Angeles, more than 50% of the drive is getting out of Texas. So it is, uh, yeah, it, it's it's massive. And I mean, it may, you know, on the map, it may look different than in reality, but yeah, for sure. Well, that, that's like in Ontario, we're seeing where they're kind of bragging. It takes 24 hours to go from the easterly part to the most westerly part. <laughs> Yeah, for yeah, sure. it's crazy. You can we can go to Florida in the same amount of time, maybe less. Yeah, no, for sure. So um, maybe you can tell the uh, people and where we can find you, the name of your podcast. Yes, so the name of the podcast is Ski Heroes, uh, and uh, we should be on most platforms, at least Spotify and Apple and Amazon, and the most most usual ones and then uh, uh i do have an instagram account as well for uh, ski heroes i'll throw a link in for that 
yeah, appreciate it. So I think uh, I tend to be more active there. I found them on my own Instagram. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so it, uh, and I try to, I don't know, it, uh, so far, like I said, we're in episode five coming out, hopefully this weekend. So, so far it's been like every two weeks, it's kind of been the, the frequency and we'll see if we can keep that up or, or whatever. But uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's kind of it. And uh, like I said, maybe each episode trying to keep it to roughly 30 minutes, give or take, and then uh, uh, trying to hopefully highlight an uh, interesting story about a skier. So there you go, folks need to check out Ski Heroes on uh, Instagram and uh, check out the link that'll be in my Instagram account and uh, YouTube account so that you can find Ivan's podcast. Anyways, thanks for being on the show, Ivan. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and hopefully I'll give you an open invitation to come and ski southeastern Quebec and Vermont, New Hampshire anytime you want to come up this way. Be careful what you ask for. (laughs) 